Hey, Consume listeners, Jamie Lewis here. I've been wanting to try new formats for the podcast, and this sixth season, I changed things up a bit. Every guest this season is a person of color in the wine and food industry, and roughly half of the interviews are conducted by Justin Tribu, a young black winemaker with a talent for honesty and conversation. This is a temporary format. I'll be back to hosting all the episodes myself next season, but it feels like a really important change this time around. As much as I could, I wanted to facilitate real discussion, and Justin's input and guidance helped a lot with that. I would have had her do all 10 episodes, but she was in the throes of harvest. So for what she was able to contribute, I'm very grateful. You may want to hear my interview with Justin first and listen on from there. Oh, and yeah, we're on Zoom again for these episodes. In any case, thank you so much for listening and happy sixth season of Consumed. Consumed is sponsored by my friends at Slow Life Magazine, for whom I write the food column. For the 2020 October-November issue, I'm writing about ribs in Slow County, and I included the Rib Line in Grover Beach, G Brothers in San Luis Obispo, and Miss Odette's Creole Kitchen in Paso Robles. It's been a sticky week around here, let me tell you, but I'm putting the finishing touches on the article now. If you live in San Luis Obispo or Avila Beach, check your mailbox for Slow Life Magazine every other month. And if you don't already get it, subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. Consumed is also supported by James Onaveros at Ranchos de Onaveros Wine in the Santa Maria Valley. If you haven't already listened to my episode with James in season one, I'll tell you, he's a ninth generation agriculturalist with roots that go back to when California was governed by Spain. His ancestors had this massive land grant and it was sold off in pieces until there was nothing left. But he and his parents worked hard to buy back a parcel that overlooks the land that used to be their family's, and James planted his Pinot Noir vineyard there with his own two hands at the tender age of 23. I think one of the craziest things about James is that his last name, Onaveros, means the one true vine. The coolest part of his story, though, is that the wine is absolutely beautiful, with a very Burgundian style and influence. Taste that storyline for yourself by visiting the station in Los Alamos, where Ranchos de Onaveros wines are sold, along with elevated Santa Maria-style cuisine from Chef Conrad Gonzalez. For more information, visit ranchosdeonaveros.com or thestationlosalamos.com. Dylan Jones is the executive director of One Cool Earth, an organization that creates school garden programs in San Luis Obispo and Santa Barbara County schools. Dillon is a native and resident of Santa Maria, one of the world's most productive agricultural areas, and yet an area where many kids don't get the chance to garden. We talked about how growing up there impacted his life trajectory and how he knew he was interested in environmental science, which he studied at Willamette University in Oregon. We also discussed kids' reactions to tasting veggies they grew themselves, how families can come together for cook nights in school cafeterias, and most immediately, how One Cool Earth continues their mission even in the midst of a pandemic. Listen in as Dylan and I discuss how he got his first seeds from a cracker box, how he loves his wife's cooking, and how the forests of Oregon inspired him to pursue a career outdoors. Okay, here's Dylan Jones. Hi. Hello, hello. What's your day like today? Um, lots of Zoom meetings, I guess I would say. Yeah. Zoom meetings, uh, Google Meet, I guess is the other format I've learned to use a lot more. Yeah. Um, 
lots, a lot more phone calls than I thought I would be doing. But seriously, um, yeah, you know, we just—it's funny you ask because I just got off the phone with um, one of our new grants from NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Yes, yeah. right. So it was, um, yeah, it was great. Just you know, talking and talking about funding, bringing it into our community. But um, yeah, just the. Always fun to talk with some federal government representatives. Well, I guess. right. For a little light conversation. Yeah. 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 Um, yep. Yep. Did you, are you allowed to talk about that grant at all? Uh, yeah, definitely. So it, if it's coming from NOAA, is that a pretty sizable, is it going to make a big impact on your organization? Yeah. A huge impact. Yes. Thankfully, I would say. Yeah. yeah. So this, um, this particular grant is the marine debris grant. And so, We'll be, you know, using the gardens to teach about, well, how, you know, how trash makes its way from land-based sources into the ocean. And then, you know, ideally, we'll be creating some best practices manuals for districts to use, school districts to use to, um, you know, limit the amount of waste they produce. And um, and then there's the teacher training side of it. So, you know, we we provide our lessons, we teach our lessons, but then we also try to, you know, do the uh teach a person to fish model. So we teach teachers how to do outdoor education and bring it into their everyday um, kind of teaching curriculum. So that is very cool. Is let me let me go backwards and just ask you, you know, I'm very curious how you wound up with one cool earth. So let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Yeah, definitely. I was uh, born and raised down in Santa Maria, um, where I still live actually to this day. Yeah, right on. I'm a yeah. Napomo girl. Oh, very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, I don't want to uh, draw lines, but it's always fun to meet someone who's from the area. (laughs) No, we pretty much are. I mean, I've said this multiple times on this podcast that growing up, there was no grocery store in Napomo. So Santa Maria was where we did all of our shopping. It was kind of home. Yeah, yep, definitely. Oh, that's so fun. And now Napomo is a different city, right? Totally. Yeah, it has more than one streetlight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has more than one exit, which I'm always surprised to see now. <laughs> I still, I've only done it once, and it's like, yeah. where am I? It's the Twilight yeah. Zone. Yeah, um, yeah. How? What kind of a kid were you? How, did you grow up like, was it pretty, um, you know, bikes in the cul-de-sac, or were you in an apartment, or what was life like growing up? Yeah, definitely. I, I thankfully, you know, had a, a, a pretty privileged life. And I really appreciate, you know, my parents for that. But um, we did. um, So I actually grew up in Orchid, too. So, you know, the just the little community outside of Santa Maria. Um, And it was definitely lots of bikes. Um, You know, athletics was has always been a big part of my life. I grew up, you know, playing baseball and soccer. So my parents were really big in getting me into sports. And that's what, you know, kept me from doing um, other things, which (laughs) turned out for the best for me. Loitering Um, at the Santa Maria Mall. Yeah, yes, definitely. Which, you know, I've had quite a friend who spent a lot of time there. But uh, yeah, I was, uh, thankfully, I look back now at practice, a lot of a lot of practice. Yeah. Oh, I want that for my kids. I, I, I believe in that. And it's tough right now. Nobody's yep. doing any activities, no sports, no music. It's really. Anyway, I've been thinking about that yeah. a lot. Yeah. So you, what did your parents do for a living, if I can ask? Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny because it, it's one of those, they both, um, and uh, my parents did uh, separate when I was young, so I have mm-hmm. the privilege of having a stepfather as well, And um, mm-hmm. but they really shaped my lives because my mom has been a, an insurance agent. She's worked for State Farm for many years, 
Uh, my dad worked out at uh, California Men's Colony, CMC, um, for 30 years. He retired out there. And then uh, my stepdad was with Caltrans as a safety officer for a long time. So I think one of the things about me is I'm very risk adverse. And it's because, you know, part of it is because my parents were in these professions where it's like, oh, yeah, there's this car accident here. And I know this person, you know, from the prison system and <laughs> like, oh, OK, well, I don't want that. So <laughs> I guess sports is a good escape for me. <laughs> totally. Oh, that is so funny. Um, yeah. Well, so tell me a little bit about food growing up. I mean, what One Cool Earth, so, so much of what you do has to do with um school gardens and yep. um environmental science and so where what how did that begin for you yeah definitely that's it's one of the, it was funny because i you know i really look back on that uh, especially you know right now and um it's one of those things where my parents always had gardens um they were always big gardeners but you know nutrition wasn't i don't know it wasn't ever really front and center it wasn't anything that really you know kind of jumped out at me i guess and so you know, it's it was just being around a garden, being around growing things. Um, and I always remember something funny is there was like uh, Triscuits, you know, the, the crackers. At one point, they were giving away like the herb seeds as well in the box. And so I'd always like collect them and be growing like dill and thyme and just these different herbs that, I don't know, Triscuits was giving out. So it was just one of those really funny things that I I just been drawn to it. It's kind of weird. It's hard to explain. Yeah. So did you, were you uh, into science, like middle school, high school, you were super into that and like, yeah. like life science? Yeah, I've always loved life science. Um, but, you know, I didn't really, it, it's interesting in our area in Santa Maria, especially, you know, the environment isn't something that's front and center. And I really learned that when I went away to college. Um, you know, I really found out that there's not a lot of environmental professions there's not a lot of even I, you know, hiking trails, different like outdoor activities, yeah. especially in Santa Maria. I really noticed, you know, it's not as, as uh, prominent as it could be. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in, in Orchid, we do have like the Orchid trails, which, you know, sadly, are, there is new houses going up, which is, you know, positive and positive and, you know, it's, uh, encroaching on some of those hiking trails. But, you know, it's um, yeah, it, it's just a lot different from where I went to school. But it's so funny to think about, you know, up here, I'm in San Luis Obispo and, uh, you know, hiking. It's like we have a mountain. We're at the base of yeah. a mountain right at our house. You yeah. can hike um, Cerro San Luis, Madonna Mountain, whatever you want to call it. And you can walk down the mountain and you'll be right downtown. You can go to House of Bread, you know, get a cinnamon yeah. roll or whatever. But, you know, how many miles north of Santa Maria are we? We're not we're not far at all. And same with like Santa Barbara, um, Santa Barbara County, um, you know, Southern County has more of those opportunities. And it's, it's, I didn't know you lived in Santa Maria, but I've had this, I've had a lot of questions about Santa Maria for a long time. It's the largest yeah. city on the central coast by far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Humble brag for you. It's yeah. <laughs> the biggest city by far. Um, it also is, it has more agricultural output than any city on the central coast. It rivals Monterey, um, which is like the fruit basket of America. And so it's crazy to think 
how agricultural it is, and yet environmentally, it's really not a discussion happening, at least not in the public. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's it's interesting you say that because when, you know, my passion about the environment does really come from, you know, obviously my family isn't really big into agriculture, but um, just being exposed to it, I tell people, you know, all of the schools I went to growing up, elementary, middle school, and high school, I mean, you can see farm fields, you know, right where we're at. And so it's always been kind of in the background, but really for me, you know, that intersection between agriculture and the environment is what really gets me excited. It's just this, um, it, that that's the area that I really love. Uh, tell Remind me again where you went to college. Yeah, so I went to uh, Willamette University. It was up in um, yeah. Salem, Oregon. So, you know, being from Santa Maria uh, <laughs> was a big change for me. That's a huge but, change. A huge change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was big, um, you know, especially it's one of those weird things where I almost hate to say it, but the weather is just different. And it was just such a big adjustment. You know, it's like I, I just didn't really realize where I lived until I left. And yeah. then, you know, it's like, oh, wow, it's uh, 70 degrees every day and it's always sunny. That's something to appreciate. That's something you can't just uh, you can't just get anywhere. But you do have to go away to know that. I did, especially for me, I did. I was someone who, when I left Santa Maria, like a lot of my friends in high school, it was kind of like, you know, there's nothing to do here. It's no, there's mm -hmm. nothing here. And so when I went away to school, it was, um, you know, I'm never coming back to Santa Maria. I'm never coming back. And then, you know, when I eventually did, it was just such a, you know, such a blessing for me to see it in this new, in this new way, because for me, it's, you know, I work a lot in San Luis County. I work, you know, quite a bit in Santa Barbara area as well. Um, but for me, Santa Maria is just a special place. You know, yeah. it's, it, it is just a different place than, you know, either part, San Luis or Santa Barbara. It's just a different city, which I really appreciate. Um, yes. And the weather. I love it. Yes. And um, I had a guest on James Onaveros who grew up in Santa Maria, ninth generation California agriculture, wonderful guy. He's over um, off of Clark. Um, so kind of like more Southern um, Santa Maria. And he, if you want to talk Santa Maria, oh my gosh, he's just so fascinating. But he has said many times that it is a city without any pretense at all. And that is what sets it apart from so many of our cities around San Luis Obispo and around Santa Barbara. There is a lot of aspirational um, living and Santa Maria is extremely content to be just exactly what it is. And, and it's also really beautiful, really beautiful. There are places out Tepescay Canyon Road, um, you know, up toward the Twitchell Dam that just so gorgeous. So anyway, yeah. we're, we're right. fan, yeah. fans yeah. of Santa Maria. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, that's on the record now. Yeah, for sure. But I'm, I'm glad you said that, that, I don't know, the pretense side of it. I just feel when I'm in Santa Maria, it's just such a, a down to earth kind of city. You know, people are, I don't know, they're doing their thing. I, I find it's very family oriented. And, you know, I definitely don't um, brush over the, the negative aspects of parts of the city. But I mean, you know, everywhere you go, there's something. So uh, for sure. Totally. So when you were in college, were, did you know you were going to go into environmental science as soon as you got there? 
It was, uh, it was pretty soon after I, um, you know, it was one of those things where I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so I went up, you know, again, athletics has always been a big part of my life. And so, um, I went up there to play football and I ran track, but, um, I, I definitely went up there to do sports and then it was kind of like, oh, well, you also need a degree. So it was just one of those things where it's such a small school. They only offer so many, um, degrees and none of them really called out to me. And environmental science was there. I looked through the curriculum and I, you know, I, I really liked what I was seeing. So that's the route I went down. And then, you know, being there again, I mean, it, it's just a different, like hiking. When I talk about hiking, it's just a different experience there because you go and you're in a forest, you're in a conifer forest, wherever you go. Um, so that's, you know, there's waterfalls. There's just, it's just a whole different thing. And so going up there was really where I fell in love with the environment. Um, yeah. And then bringing it back, you know, and, and then having that agriculture back lens, not a background, but like being, you know, in it, um, it really, those, just those two passions came together mm-hmm. and then it transformed into the garden. You know, it's a, a microcosm of those things. Yeah. Do you, uh, did you know maybe what you wanted to go into when you graduated there? Um, I really liked the idea of, so I did, after I graduated, I worked with, um, I did an AmeriCorps term, but doing, oh, yeah. um, restoration and in particular there it was, um, prairie. They, there's some like prairies. Um, mm-hmm. so I actually was in Oregon. I moved up to Washington and so I was in Western Washington doing prairie restoration. And so just kind of that, um, I don't know, honestly, I guess in Santa Maria, it's just working with the land in an environmental capacity was just something that just really called to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was just kind of, I don't know, being out there every day and it, honestly it was restoration. So it was just pulling weeds in a lot of different ways. That's what I tell people. <laughs> I know. I was going to ask you, what the heck is restoration? Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. Pulling weeds. Definitely. Oh, I do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, and I'm sure, well, well, we're here, we're here, but you know, it was, there was, um, certain species of plants that they didn't want there. And so we did. You know, we used chemical and mechanical means to get it out. And then we also did fire, which was, you know, kind of the native practice. And so it was just, you know, again, it was pulling weeds in a lot of different ways. But there was something for me about being outside every single day and seeing being with the the changing environment from season to season. That just really called to me. So mm-hmm. it was really more then about kind of like um, preserve management or, you know, managing big open lands like that, which was you know, kind of what called me. Um, and then when I moved back down to Santa Maria, they kind of came back to that. Well, where are the environmental jobs? How do I get into the environmental field? And that's what kind of pushed me on this track to, you know, where I'm at right now. Um, okay. and yeah. And capacity is cool... limited. Yeah. What's that? Oh, I was oh. just going to say in some capacities, you know, there wasn't many options, um, yeah. but, you know, I'm very thankful to find what I did. Yeah, and it seems like an awesome organization. I know Greg Ellis um, through, I, I worked with Edible Slow Magazine and he was a writer and had great contributions to the magazine. I feel like the mission has shifted a little bit though from when we were working together. When I looked you up, I saw that it really is very focused now on school gardens. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's where we're spending a lot of the energy. Yeah. But I'd love to hear what Greg, what, uh, where you see that difference is. Well, you know, it could be my own, um, you know, doing bad research and not really <laughs> knowing, uh, what one cool earth was 
standing for in particular. At the time, I just thought it was like, I remember he was doing such a cool project where he was asking people with like regular traditional residential lots if they wanted to have backyard gardens that were put together by others. Actually, this is how I met him. And we had a neighbor at the time who Mr. Roger had uh, random people walk into his backyard. (laughs) And we were like, Roger, are you okay? And he said, yeah, we've, you know, this group is coming in. They are planting a garden and tending it. And I can't remember where the produce was going. Does it, did it just go back to him maybe? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever was growing it, I think was taking too. Yeah. Okay. So that was kind of like my introduction was it was sort of guerrilla gardening is, is the feeling I got. But now, you know, your website is very clear that it's school focused. Um, which I think is terrific. The more um, specific and uh, dialed in a mission, I think the more effective it is. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, you know, um, I can yeah talk about the whole history of One Cool Earth because, it, yeah. you know, it did start in 2001 before Greg was, you know, in there. And so it did really start with the tree planting. And then, um, you know, that's where we get the logo from and the one cool, where the name comes from. But, um, you know, I really see this. So it lived quite a few different lives. But what the school garden does is it just expands opportunities for people to get into the garden. You know, the school is going to impact many more people, especially in our community, than somebody's backyard. And so it's really just kind of shifting um, the impact, who we're impacting, and the amount of people we can bring into the garden. Because parents can still, you know, join in, volunteer, and so if food can still get out to kids, can still get out to families. And so it's really, you know, the, the backyard garden is this really great community building opportunity, but it is very limited in how many people you can get and how many people want, you know, strangers in their backyard. Whereas the school garden is really, you know, our school's average, maybe around 400 students. And then there's their parents on top of that. There's their grandparents, extended families. I mean, just the reach, it, it it's, it's large, yeah. So explain to anybody listening, what would you do to partner with a school? What would that look like on the ground? Yeah, so right now we have our, what we call our Earth Genius Program, and that's where we provide a garden educator to come to the school one day per week to teach these garden-based lessons, you know, whether they're environment, nutrition, um, or just, you know, general well-being lessons. And so that's what we do. We have an educator who comes by, they take care of the garden, but they also organize the community around it. So it's really about integrating outdoor education with the school system. You know, one thing we hate is we don't want to add to anybody's workload, whether they're the teacher, the principal, the custodian. We don't want to add to anybody's workload. Oh. What we want to do is kind of, you know, replace something that they would do with this garden based and this outdoor education frame. So, you know, It's kind of funny because a lot of people think we build a lot of school gardens, but in our community, most schools actually have a school garden. Most schools, they have one. And, you know, the story of a school garden is really there's an excited parent, there's an excited teacher, maybe even a principal who puts in this garden. And it's a lot of fun to build the garden, bring people in. But then, you know, the teacher, they move to another school or the kids move to another school and the garden kind of falls into disrepair. And so really where I see us coming in is 
you know, partially being that bridge in between excited parents, you know, always bringing in community members. So, you know, I talked to parents who, oh, I just entered, my student just entered kindergarten. I was like, oh, that's great. We're going to have you, you know, helping out for a long time. But eventually we understand that that student is going to go to middle school. They're going to go to high school and there needs to be that longevity approach. And so that's kind of where we come in. It's not about, you know, again, adding to someone's workload. It's just about getting kids outdoors. It's about getting kids connected to the environment, to nature, and to healthy eating, you know, in a fun way. And the garden can do all those things. So that's kind of, you know, why we landed on the school garden. I, You are speaking to some experiences I had uh, in a previous life. I worked for the San Luis Obispo Symphony and was their music education director. And we, you know, gardens, I'm sure we share a lot of feelings about, you know, funding for schools and especially science and the arts are often on the fringe of what gets paid for. So we as an organization would um, advocate for music in schools, but when a school just couldn't do it, we would have programs that we would give to the schools. And we had a similar we had a similar realization that yes, you may have a program that one teacher is really into or principals really into, but you know, we, I remember we had this textbook that we wrote is this beautiful program. And, uh, you know, 10 years later when I was putting my son into elementary school, the teacher, his teacher for second grade, I saw the thing dusty on her shelf and it was like, okay, here is a great example of continuity. You can't necessarily depend on, we need our nonprofits is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some institutional (laughs) longevity that that. comes with that. Well, because, you know, it's funny as, as kind of the, you know, where music and the arts and, you know, science crosses paths, especially with garden based education, as I tell people, especially even our own employees is that, you know, when I was, even when I was growing up in sixth grade, our music program was being cut. Um, PE was being scaled back. Um, you know, art was being scaled way back. And so here we come in garden based education and we don't have that same institutional clout that these other, you know, long standing, um, um, programs have. And so we do have to make the case. We do have to make that argument that this is beneficial. And one of the things for me is that the garden, it isn't just the sciences. That's where we connect with the school standards. And that's how we show that, you know, we are in here with you. But, you know, some of the things we do is I love to have, you know, try to do plays out in the garden or try to have, you know, music sections where students can make noise and make music out in the garden. Um, the history component, you know, really, there's all these different components that can be done out in the garden. And so it's really more that it's this outdoor classroom and not that it's, you know, we're teaching kids how to grow food. We are, but we're going to connect that with math and how, you know, how fast things grow. Um, we're going to connect it with the sciences and we're going to get the kids to eat those vegetables, which is something parents typically appreciate. Yes, I'm sure. And why wouldn't <laughs> you want to spend time in a garden where things are growing? I, there's something very life-giving about that for sure. Hey there, a quick interlude to talk about another one of my supporters. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality products and exceptional customer service. Community-owned Slow Food Co-op buys from local producers, ensuring that they offer their customers real and sustainable food. 
Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and environmentally sustainable packaging. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. So tell me, you've seen a lot of kids eat a lot of vegetables. Um, How does that usually go? Yeah, that's funny. You know, it's funny. It's it's one of my favorite things to talk about because there's vegetables that kids typically love, like carrots. You know, a lot of kids love carrots. But I actually, you know, I had a we had a principal last year who comes up to us and he says, you know, I have multiple parents coming to me and tell, asking me, how did you get my kid to eat kale? And if you've had raw kale, like a lot of people have had raw kale, you know, it, it can be bitter. You know, we've had kids eat arugula and really like it, um, you know, flowering, bitter things. But the thing that the garden provides and any any student or any kid growing their own food is it's that connection piece is where if you grow something, you're so much more connected. And especially what I like to say in an age like I'm a big instant gratification person, but, um, you know, a radish even it takes at least 21 to, you know, 30 days to grow. And kids are just sitting there waiting, just waiting day by day to eat something. And when they eventually get to eat it, they're excited to eat it. You know, and so that excitement also breeds that, oh, yeah, this does taste good. Like, I do like this. And so connecting and building that connection to their food really helps kids um, not only eat it and taste it, but also enjoy what they're eating. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, there's a few other practices that we do. Like um, we ask kids to at least like nibble it, you know, do like a, a rabbit nibble, just a little taste, you know, and if you don't like it, don't eat it. If you do eat the whole thing. Um, and then, you know, providing a positive, just providing a positive space. And so one thing that, um, you know, I'll have to give credit to food core, which is one of our partner agencies, but you know, they say, don't yuck my yum. And so that means, you know, if a kid eats it and they don't like it, that's fine, but don't yell like, Oh, I don't like this. This is the grossest thing because it does create that, you know, almost negative culture, but it creates, you know, no student wants to like something that everybody else doesn't like. So, um, you know, creating a positive space for them, getting them, you know, that long-term connection. These are all like really basic things that we can do out in the garden that changes their, you know, in some points, their, just their lifestyle moving forward. They're asking their parents, oh, can we get vegetables? Oh, can I taste these? Can I eat these? Um, you know, and that's, it's just one of those things that we provide that, yeah, that's funny. Get kids to eat kale in a positive way is great. I know raw kale. I'm thinking just the texture alone. It's like, you got to be committed to that, you know? Yeah. And I'll tell everybody, you know, kind of a a gross little secret, but you know, we do, we try to, we do all kind of organic growing practices. So there's no chemicals involved in what we do. And so, you know, sometimes there's bugs on the plants and students have to watch our educator wash off bugs all the bugs, you know, we do it right, of course, and get it nice and clean, but then they'll taste it after seeing bugs on it and they still like it. And it's one of those things where, I don't know, I think a lot of parents would be surprised to hear that story and then say, yeah. wow, they actually ate it. Uh, and rock kale is a strong taste. I can say it's not my favorite, but. <laughs> it, it just needs, I, you know, it's funny you say that because I was talking to a friend recently about so many things that are considered kind of yuck foods. Like they have that yuck um, mm-hmm. 
history, Brussels sprouts, kale, yeah. a lot of like cruciferous greens yeah. and things like that. So much of it is in the way it's prepared. And um, if you've ever made a kale salad, you know that it needs to be massaged. It <laughs> needs olive oil and a little lemon juice. And then you just like massage that thing in the bowl and it's actually quite tender by the end. So, yeah. so much of enjoying these foods has to do with knowing how to prepare them, I think. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the flip side. That's, you know, one of the other things that we do to get kids to, to really change lifestyles and not just kind of say that we did something. And mm -hmm. so we do in the past, we won't be able to do it, you know, in this, in this next semester at least, but we have what we call family cook nights where we invite families to come to the school and prepare a very simple recipe together, you know, getting kids into the kitchen so they can show, oh, I can cut things. I can do basic things and I can help in the kitchen. Um, and that just shows that it just helps with, okay, so you might not like Brussels sprouts in this way, but how about you, you know, dice it up real fine? Or how about, you know, you try steaming it or broiling, you know, different things. And so um, we also try to help teach healthy recipes. And so that, okay, you might not like raw kale, but maybe, like you said, if you massage it a little bit, add a vinaigrette, maybe, you never know. That Put it in a lasagna. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Bury yeah. it in some cheese. It'll be great. <laughs> I don't know if I can comment on that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, does this feel kind of like ancient history talking about those cook nights now? Because nobody's doing those now. I want to ask you about, you know, what does the organization look like with COVID on, on everything? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, family cook nights, that's something that it's one of my favorite events that we put on because it, it's really that whole circle. You know, we harvest mm -hmm. something from the garden, we bring it in, we're in the cafeteria, school's cafeteria. It brings parents back to sometimes the schools they went to. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, you know, that's definitely a, a bummer. But so the family cook nights right now at least are on pause um you know i am hoping to provide something at least in the digital format where we can partner with schools get produce to the parents and the students and then be able to do like we're doing right now you know a zoom um preparation demonstration and the students the kids can do it at home you know so it's one of those things where especially in garden-based education a lot of people might kind of want technology not involved in what we're doing but really it's, it's, it's how we use technology. And it really is this opportunity to say that, okay, we don't have to just cancel outdoor education. We can do this through a digital format. We can get the materials to the students and, um, you know, lead the lessons through either video or, you know, a live demonstration. And so it's really for us, it's just flipping the model of students coming to the garden. Now we're gonna bring the garden to the students. So that's what we're really looking to do. And um, I think some people listening, you know, who might uh, um, have ever gardened with students or run a school garden, honestly, it is a lot easier to grow and maintain things without a lot of little hands, you know, <laughs> who get super excited. If any kids are listening, you're great. But, um, you know, if, if you have a nice row of carrots and, um, you know, adults are typically a little bit better about pulling just one carrot where, you know, some kids get excited and pull out a whole row of yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not ripe carrots. So, um, <laughs> you know, and honestly, I'm excited about the production aspect. I think we're going to, our gardens are going to produce a lot more food. Yeah. Um, but I'm also excited, you know, one of the things is, um, you know, the screens, like I said, technology can be great, but it also can be, um, 
you know, mentally draining. And yeah. so just being able to show that, you know, we're still here in the gardens, the garden is still growing because one of the things about the gardens, is especially for people, you know, for young people who do live in an apartment or don't have that access to a growing space or a beautiful outside, the garden is also just mentally very beneficial, you know, for their mental health. Just that, you know, the safe space, being around just so much green and so much, so much life, just literal, you know, plant life, people, um, insects, different, uh, um, just those different factors. So being able to bring that to the students through materials kits, yes, but also, you know, through the screens and showing them that their school gardens are still thriving, um, you know, we think is going to be very, uh, very important for our students who, Mm -hmm. you know, we just have to be honest. We, we've never gone through this before. Um, you know, our students, you know, I do really feel for our students. Um, you know, I, we talked, this will go back, but, you know, sports were a big part of my life. So I can't imagine, I've talked to a lot of high school seniors at this point, and I just can't imagine what it would be like for me not to be able to play my senior year or, you know, in college, be able to do my senior year. And so that's one of those things where I really feel for the feel for the students and that, you know, we really want to think, especially for our organization as a nonprofit, about their mental health and how, yes, we can teach the standards, we can do these things, but how can we really improve these kids' lives? Yeah, that, that's one of the angles we're trying to take right now. Yeah, and you know, I actually really applaud you for the showing them their school garden. There's something beautiful about showing them like, yeah, we're all split up. Um, but look at what, you know, I don't know whether they planted it or not, but look at the fruit, the, the literal fruit that this thing is bearing um, to be able to show it to them. It's like life goes on. It's not... It's, it's even hard for me to say it right now. I've been feeling just overwhelmed by how long this is taking. Um, my kids go back to school in two weeks, back to school, air quotes. Yep. Um, and so it's just, it's easy to lose hope that we're going to get through this, but something about seeing a garden, even on a zoom screen that, you know, that these students know this space, that sounds amazing. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's about the kids, I guess, you know, it's all about the kids for us. But then on the flip side of it, you know, for us, it's also I have a sister who has a kid who's entering the third grade, and Mm -hmm. her other her oldest one is going to be a sophomore in high school. And so for me, it's also, um, you know, very personal about my sister's mental health, and providing Mm -hmm. benefit for the parents who are at home. You know, if we can provide very simple activities that uh, the students can do either self-directed or with their parents in a fun way, in a hands-on way where they don't have to watch the screens, mm-hmm. you know, th- that's the other side of it. We want to be there for the teachers, for the parents, and, um, you know, and we know a happy home life really helps out with the students' well-being as well and, and their success. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of different, and that's why, you know, when I keep coming back to the garden, it's... The growing things, that's always great. But if you have a garden at home, you know that one, you know, a few days of not watering in a hot spell or in Paso, you know, it can be one day you don't water and your plants are done. Um, That's just part of the process. But being able to be part of the process, that's the important part. And being able to, you know, bring communities together around something just so simple. people don't typically argue about food. It's one of those things, you know, food and, and 
people argue about how to grow things, but at the end of the day, you know, you can have your space, we'll have my space, we'll yeah. grow things and we'll we'll compare notes and we'll talk to each other about it. So mm-hmm. we've just found that it's, you know, it's a very positive environment, both the, you know, the food, the growing things aspect of it, it, it really is, you know, community building. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. you know, I guess one of the many lenses that I've, that I've talked about. Yes, of course. You know, and, and so you say it's such a positive thing and it totally is, but I'm very curious. Have you, tell me about one of the biggest, like maybe a funny fail with like feeding kids or growing something where it's, <laughs> I just, I can imagine you have yeah. a few to choose from. Yeah, you know, that's what, when I was, I was thinking about, <laughs> you know, thankfully I have been spared a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, there's been some growing pains, I guess I'd say, whether, you know, maybe we sent home a plant that shouldn't have been sent home with a certain <laughs> student, or maybe, you know, I did a video on, um, on uh, uh, doing like a nature walk, you know, and then in some cases, some there's poison oak where we live. So, you know, sometimes yeah. that doesn't work out as well. You know, one of the things for me is just um, like, especially in a Tascadero and Pasquin, our North County and our Eastern County, where it is a little bit drier, a little bit hotter, even than the rest of the county. Um, you know, we've had big irrigation breaks and you'll just see water just spraying out in the air. And especially, you know, at the height of the drought, if you see a big hose just spraying water, you know, that's not the best look for an organization that's so based on, you know, water conservation, growing food, but, yeah. you know, growing food needs water and balancing those two things out. So, um, you know, again, thankfully I haven't been, uh, <laughs> haven't had the, some of the horror stories, I guess. Oh, but when you have them, I can't wait. I cannot yeah, wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be back to tell you. Yeah, I'll definitely have to tell you. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. how many schools are you in? Do you have numbers like that? Yeah, so this year we'll be with 16 schools. Um, we'll have about seven part-time educators who are at the schools and um, two full-time educators who you know support and, and work at the schools as well. So we do work throughout all of San Luis County. Um, San Miguel, if you know if people are listening, I apologize, but Lillianne Larson has gotten left out sometimes, but we do try to work with San Miguel. Um, Creston, Carissa Plains, you know, the eastern parts of the county as well. Wow. And yeah, we do, you know, it, it does. One thing I realized is we have a geographically a very large county and, mm-hmm. you know, pretty small population. And so it, it does make it a challenge. Um, but, you know, we, we bear that brunt. And so we have educators all throughout the county. And um, we did just start working with uh, northern Santa Barbara County as well. So Guadalupe, you know, out on the coast out there. So. Yeah, nice. uh, mostly elementary schools, but we do work with a few middle schools and at the uh, high school level sometimes as well. Really? So what would a high school program look like? I was going to ask you about that. How is it yeah, different? De- yeah, definitely. Well, you know, the um, even in the elementary school, it changes. You know, kindergarten and fifth grade are like night and day what they're doing. And so, um, you know, it really goes from more experiential based um, really just experiencing what you're going through, whether it's using your five senses to just taste and smell and hear things to, um, you know, getting more, um, especially with fifth grade, fifth and sixth grade, academically rigorous and challenging them through math and those different components. Um, and then in middle school, you know, it is more of, a, again, a presentation style, but then they go out and build the projects. They go out and it's a lot more self-led in what they can do. 
And then when we get to the high school level, it's really kind of a point and figure it out kind of thing, you know? So here is the bigger project. Here are, you know, maybe a few materials. Here's a few components. Now you're the ones who need to go and figure out how to do this. And so it's really just, um, you know, taking the recipes away and having them try to figure it out and uh, really just challenging them mentally. And so, you know, what we've looked at as well is trying to provide internships for the high schools. We have been able to do that at the college level. And so that way we are trying to do, you know, one of our big goals is this vertical integration. So from elementary school through college and Cuesta College and Hancock are involved in that with, um, you know, our internships and then just volunteer opportunities, especially for Cal Poly students is, you know, mm -hmm. something big for us. So we do really try to get, you know, all of those academic lenses in here. Um, I guess one of my bigger challenges is trying to work at the adult school level and trying to figure out, you know, what, what's, what could work for them. Yes. Yeah. But you know, there's something, you know, there's oh, something. I know there's something. I know there's yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like that vertical integration. It makes sense to have it be continuous where it would follow a student from kindergarten all the way up through, I mean, adult school where there, there would be um, a toolkit that is consistent from one grade to the next one stage of life to the next. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things I'm most excited about is that um, for, for a number of years, we worked with uh, Atascadero School District is one of our biggest partners, is our biggest mm -hmm. partner. And so we work with about five of their elementary schools. And um, previously, we have worked in the middle school as well. And so it's one of those things where, you know, by the time students were in eighth grade, they've had an experience with One Cool Earth throughout their entire schooling. Amazing. I mean, yeah. how cool is that, you know? And so that next barrier, we do work with um, Paloma Creek up there, which is their uh, alternative high school. Yeah. Um, but, you know, also working with the, so in that case, you know, we'll have students who have gone from elementary school, middle school, and into the high school level with experiences with One Cool Earth. And I mean, that's a big success for me. If yeah. we can have that, you know, um, access over time where they can really find their passions and explore them, I mean, that's that's what's really huge for me. Yes. Yeah. The full circle aspect for sure is exciting. Well, let's talk about how you eat. So are you, do you have any, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> now the rubber meets the road. Now. Yeah, yeah. If you tell me you don't eat vegetables, I quit. <laughs> so, so how do you generally eat? Are you vegetarian? Are you paleo? How do you eat? Yeah, I can you say are. that. I will, I will, I'm not, no. Oh, you're I not. Can, okay. Yeah, I won't speak for my staff, but I am one of those, you know, odd ducks in the organization where most of our staff is a much more, you know, vegetarian to vegan leaning. Um, I do have more of an omnivore diet, you know. Yeah, me too. Totally. <laughs> so, yeah. But, you know, my, you know, I'm, I'm more of like, a, maybe people can tell by now, but a very simple kind of person. So, you know, it's, for me, it's very, you know, steamed. I love just steaming vegetables. Steam, a light steam with olive oil and salt is big, yeah. like just beets. Um, you know, a quick stir fry is something that's really big for me. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, honestly, my, um, my wife's parents are uh, immigrants from Mexico. And so, you know, rice and beans, and that's big for me. That's what I really love. And that's soul Rebecca, food. Yeah. If she ever listens to this, I'm not going to say I married her for the food, but it was a consideration. It'll be our secret. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. rice and beans, man. Just give me, give me the carbs, please. Yeah. So yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So good. Well, if it were, you may have already told me this, but if you were going to die tomorrow and you had one last meal, you get to choose what it is, what would it be? 
Oh, yeah. I love uh, carne asada tacos, just the street tacos, corn tortilla, carne asada, onion, cilantro. That's it. Um, and it's one of those things where I can actually grow onions and cilantro. So it's fun that I can, you know, throw some uh, some, uh, garden fresh and then, you know, I, I, I can't raise a, raise a cow, unfortunately, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny just as a, you know, an aside, when I was growing up in uh, elementary school, we went to, you know, one of the missions and we made, um, acorn masa and and made tortillas. So one of my big goals is to make, you know, a, a, uh, street tacos with the uh, acorn acorn tortillas instead of a corn tortilla, but that's totally don't hold me to that just now. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that though, because I, I've, I remember taking, we used to have an oak tree in our backyard and, you know, picking up acorns constantly. Yep. And it's hard not to look at those and say, you know, this is food. How can this yeah. be food? How can we make it food? And I'm hoping at some point to have on this podcast, there's actually a Northern Chumash, um, a uh, member of the Northern Chumash tribe who knows how to do that. And so Perfect. I'm hoping to talk to her about, yeah, how can we, how can we eat these acorns? But yeah, yeah pretty cool. A lot cool. of work. I know that. <laughs> yes. Lots of, yeah, sifting and draining. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, Dylan, I think you're doing really important work. And um, I hope that being virtual doesn't last too much longer because as we both know, you got to touch and be there and feel it to really connect with it. But thank you for keeping the torch burning while everybody's sheltering in place. Yeah, of course, of course. And as much as we can, you know, we want to get those get those experiences to the students. So getting the materials out to the students is going to be a big push for us, especially in this first semester, because just like you said, we can do videos, we can do this whole thing, but there's nothing like touching it. There's nothing like being outside. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we can't replace that. And that's that's what we want to be able to provide. Yeah. Let me ask you one last thing. If somebody yeah. wanted One Cool Earth to be to send an educator out um, to their child's school, what would they have to do? Yeah. So you can you can email me, honestly, at, at uh, Dylan J at One Cool Earth, and maybe you could have that information available. But uh, yeah. go to our website. We have you know a few email addresses. You can reach out. They all go to me. The phone number goes to me. Go to our website. Just reach out to us. You know, our main program right now is this very intensive, um, you know, it's a 36-week program partnership with the school. So that's the main one we do. But, you know, especially in a time like this, we really want to be able to provide our services. So we do have full-time staff members who will be able to come out to the, you know, again, either provide this virtual lesson or come out to the garden. We do do, you know, free consultation and just how you can integrate the school garden into your schools. Um, into the curriculum side, how you can alleviate, you know, teacher stress about one more thing again and show them how that this is uh, um, not an addition, it's a replacement to something else you're doing. So if people check out our website, find the contact info, it's just at the bottom, very easy to find. Just reach out. I'm always happy to talk to people about what we do um, and we'll figure out something. We're always, you know, I like to consider us environmental entrepreneurs. We're always going to figure out something to benefit, you know, the community, your community. So yeah, please reach out. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. I appreciate it. And we'll keep an eye out for what you're doing next. Of course. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, you, Dylan. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Consumed. I'm grateful for all of your ears every single day. 
The podcast is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. I hope you'll support the businesses and people featured this season and come back for another season of Consumed this winter. Until then, take care.